It is enough that Jesus saves. This ends my fear and doubt. It's easy to say those words, isn't it? Is it that easy? Are your fears and doubts all removed? Or do you still experience fears and doubts sometimes? Real life happens. I remember many, many years ago when I was a young Christian, I used to pray to God, God, whatever you want, God, just purify me, make me like Jesus, make me holy, take, take out what needs to be taken out. And we pray that way, don't we? <clears throat> and then something comes into our lives, something hard, something unpleasant, something painful, and we, we pray again. And what do we pray? God, deliver me from this. Take this away. Stop this. And I can imagine our loving Father up in heaven just going, My child, I'm answering your first prayer. Patience. John, I had to think this morning about Elizabeth when Mary came to visit. And she said that the babe leaped within her. I had a similar experience this morning. When you got up to speak, the spirit within me leapt, and I think you'll understand here shortly. What he read in Romans chapter 5, there are a couple of words I want you to grab into these words. Faith, peace, patience, through tribulation. Tribulation works. I'd like to begin in James chapter 1. Just very briefly, look at those same verses that the Holy Spirit has given to us this morning already. Verse 2, my brethren, count it all joy. Let's grasp these words. Joy. Count it all joy when you fall into diverse testings, tribulations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. We need to understand what this word patience means. I think we all, God, give me patience. God, help me not to get upset. Patience, as, as we examine this word in the, in the root and in the Greek and in the Hebrew, it I think it's a better translation to say to abide under. And we think about that abiding as John described it in John chapter 15. Abide with me. Abiding, dwelling, staying in that place right there, that place of peace. Abiding with Christ. Patience. Abiding under. Under what? Under testings, under trials, under life. But let patience have her perfect work. What is the perfect work of patience? Titles for messages are sometimes difficult for me. Um, We're going to leave this passage and not come back to it. But I, I think the title for the message would be Let Patience Have Her Perfect Work. And I'd like you to turn to Job chapter 1. And I want to share with you a little bit where the inspiration for this message came from. 
Obviously, it came from God. Very obviously, it came from God. And you'll see that. This past week in school, two of our students, sisters, found out that their brother, I'm not sure how old he is, uh, early 20s, had been to the doctor and and imagine yourself maybe some of you don't have to imagine sitting in the doctor's office and the doctor looks at you and says that word cancer what what goes through your your emotions your mind your heart I wonder sometimes why we don't have that same response when somebody looks at us or maybe God looks at us and says the word sin When we hear that word cancer, it changes everything. Well, I don't want to go off on that. But this young man had surgery Friday morning to remove a mass that they very strongly suspect is cancerous. But that's just one instance. What what are the trials and tribulations of life? Well, they come in many different forms. Uh, Personally, we've experienced the death of a child. We've experienced uh, the inexplicable destruction of relationships. We've experienced uh, a church just totally falling apart with many casualties and much pain. And you know what? When that happens, uh, I think it's the young people that suffer the most. Uh, various things. Two years ago, I had a student who died. And their family had to experience that. Classmates. Uh, one of my students has a mother who several years ago had a debilitating stroke living the rest of her life in a wheelchair. We've got a member in our church who, when he was 17 years old, was racing his car. And his car ended up wrapped around a tree. And he ended up a paraplegic, quadriplegic, in a wheelchair. He's in a wheelchair today, 62 years old. But he is bright and shining with the glory of the peace of Christ in his life. Last Sunday night, I met a man, young man, carrying a 15-month-old child, his first son. And he told me that three months ago, his wife died. Life happens. Like that. One moment you're walking along, everything is fine, and the next moment everything changes. And sometimes things will go back to normal because that situation will resolve. Sometimes that situation never resolves and it's the new normal. It's new life. And we need to deal with that. How do we deal with that? I'd like to spend the majority of the time looking at the life of Job Inspiration also, Alex came from our Sunday school class, or not a Sunday school, our, our Bible class Friday morning, uh, my 11th and 12th grade Bible class. We were looking at this in the book of Job. <clears throat> and I'd like to look at Job's response. I'd like to look at uh, God's response and try to glean some lessons for our own life. Try to understand Where do I fit into this picture? Maybe you know all about Job. Or maybe there's some things about Job that you don't know. 
There's a lot about Job that I still don't know. But I'd like to share with you some. Job chapter 1. We know the beginning of the story. Job was a righteous man. He was an upright man. It says here that he feared God and he eschewed evil. He hated evil. He prayed for his children. It goes on to talk about his children. He has seven sons, three daughters, and much wealth. He was a great man. Yet he feared God and he hated evil. And he was praying for his children. One day, <clears throat> this is one of those things I don't understand, but one day it says the sons of God came before God, and among them was Satan. And I may paraphrase, forgive me for not using the King James. I'm not necessarily going to read these passages uh, sometimes. But uh, the Lord said to Satan, Satan, where have you been? What have you been doing? Now, when God asks a question, it's not because he doesn't know the answer. Right? He's looking for us to be truthful. He's looking for us to be honest, maybe sometimes to confess. But he asked Satan a question, where have you been? And Satan told him, I've been to and fro around the earth, walking up and down and uh, looking. It reminds me of uh, Peter when he said that our adversary as a roaring lion walks around the earth looking for what? For whom he may devour. That's our adversary. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? He fears God and he hates evil. And Satan, we could expect this. He said, what do you expect? You've got a hedge around him. You've provided him with every blessing. He is just enjoying life. Why wouldn't he bless you? Touch him and he'll curse you. So God, right now let's picture real life. You know, when tragedy, when calamity, when tribulation, when trials, when illness, when, when things happen in life, don't think that it's all punishment. Sometimes it is. We do suffer consequences for our sin. But I hope by the end of this time here today, we can get a better understanding and a better acceptance, a humble acceptance of the fact that God loves us so much that he is willing to allow things into our lives that will root out things that are preventing us from coming closer to him. He will burn out dross and purify us for his glory. So God said, okay, Satan, you may touch all that he has, but don't touch him. So then we know how the story goes. Uh, his children died. His, his goods were lost. Thieves came. He lost everything. And what was his response? Verse 20 says, Then Job arose, rent his mantle, shaved his head, and fell down upon the ground, and worshipped, and said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. How often have I charged God Foolishly. If we ever charge God, it is foolishly. Because God cannot be charged. So there came another day. The sons of God came before God and Satan was there and 
we have again God asking Satan, where have you been? Same answer. God says, what do you think of my servant Job now? He says, a man will give up anything to save his life. Touch his life and he'll curse you. God said, okay, he's yours. Just don't take his life. Allow him to live. Now, I don't know how many of you have ever had a boil. I've never had a boil, thankfully. I've known some that have. Understand it's extremely painful, very unpleasant. Job was covered from the sole of his foot to the top of his head in boils. Affliction. Multiple afflictions that the devil brought upon Job. To the point where his wife came and said, curse God and die. And yet, what was Job's response? Job said to her, Thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. What shall we receive good at the hand of God, and shall we not receive evil? In all this did not Job sin with his lips. So from there, we have the majority of the rest of the book of Job. And what happened? Well, three of his friends came and sat with him for a week silent. That was a good thing. How many times have you been in in such a state of grief and, and sorrow, agony, and somebody just came alongside and maybe put their arm around your shoulder and didn't say a word? How soothing was that? How comforting. Sometimes words just don't help. So for a week, there they were. Well, then, the first one spoke and began to accuse Job. And you know the story. Over the course of time, all three took their turns and they began to accuse Job, uh, saying that he he must have done something horribly wrong. He was being punished of God. Confess your sin. Be honest. They were accusing him of being hypocritical. It was like that that dripping of the water. Drip, 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 drip. You know, we can take a drip. We can take a couple of drips. But a constant, incessant dripping, what happens to our emotion? What happens to, to what's inside of us? How long can we take it? How much patience do we have? So this constant dripping, this constant coming at Job. And he began to answer. But over time, we see the purpose of what God has in mind in allowing this to take place in Job's life. Job begins, after a time, to defend himself. Job begins, after a time, to to lift up his self-righteousness. Job begins, after a time, to, to let the innermost part of his being to be revealed. You know, it's pretty easy to see the things that are on the outside. Our heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? That's why we need God to reveal it. And this is what God was doing. 
So through this all, and I'm going to skip over that whole part there. I'm not going to, you know that part of the story. I'd like to turn to chapter 38. Job chapter 38. All right, while you're there, I'm going to turn to another passage of Scripture, and I want to read it, and I want you to listen as I read this. Because I want us to understand that we have here in our hands the voice of God. We're going to look in just a moment in in chapter 38 where God came and spoke to Job. God has spoken. We have here his voice. This is the psalmist David speaking. Thou hast dealt well with thy servant, O Lord. Think about David's life. Think about the years that he was on the run. Think about the years that Saul was, was chasing him. Think about the, uh, uh, the betrayal of his own children. Thou hast dealt well with thy servant, O Lord, according unto the word. Teach me. Teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I have believed thy commandments. Verse 67 in Psalm 119. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. I'm going to throw a Selah in there. It's not in here, but Selah. Meditate on that. Think about that. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now have I kept thy word. Why now? Thou art good and doest good. Teach me thy statutes. Now catch this word. The proud have forged a lie against me, but I will keep thy precepts with my whole heart. Their heart is as fat as grease, but I delight in thy law. Verse 71. It is good for me. It is good for me that I have been afflicted. Can, Can we, in our humanity, in our flesh, can we accept that? Can we grasp that truth? It is good for me that I've been afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. The law of thy mouth is better unto me than thousands of gold and silver, than camels and oxen and all the riches in the world. God comes to Job. Now, why did God come to Job at this point? We've skipped over all those chapters. 34 chapters, 35 chapters of the the argument between his three friends. Then another friend comes and Elihu and the argument and Job building and building and building in his defense. Was Job a sinful man? No, he was not a sinful man. Job was a godly man. God's testimony of Job was that he was an upright man. He feared God and hated evil. Was he perfect? No. And God alone saw that. God did not come at this point to vindicate Job. He did not come to settle the argument. He came to meet with Job. And it's interesting as we look at these next two chapters, all the things that God brings out to Job. 
You know, David also said, The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech. Night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no language or speech that heareth not his word. You don't need to know any language or any particular speech to look around you and see that God is. And one of our handicaps is that we understand things in the natural realm. Paul said in Corinthians that the you know natural things are discerned by the natural man, the spiritual things are discerned by the spiritual. The Holy Spirit gives understanding. <clears throat> so God comes. To this point, all this discussion has been about Job and about God. But now God himself is present. Let all within keep silence. And God will speak. And I know in the scripture, <clears throat> and especially in talking about God from our, from our natural understanding, we cannot discern tone of voice. We cannot discern those things. We might like to try to do that. You know, how did this sound? What tone of voice was God using? <clears throat> Job had challenged God to a contest. We could go back and look at some of those verses. Job had said, oh, if God was only here, I would ask him. I would demand of him. So God comes, and it says here in verse 1 of chapter 38, the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge? You have challenged me. Are you ready for the contest? Gird up now thy loins like a man, for I will demand of thee and answer thou me. God is about to begin his his dissertation here that's going to try to explain to Job that your ways are not my ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. You need to understand. And he begins to explain to Job all these things. Where were you when the earth was founded, when the foundations of the earth were set? The limits of the ocean, the light of the day, the mysteries of the earth and the seas, the treasures of the snow and the hail, the thunder, the lightning, the stars in the heavens, the lions, the ravens, the goats, the peacocks, the hawks and the eagles, all these things God reviews for Job and says, where were you? Can you do this? Are you able to do that? When were you able to do this? Forty-eight times God uses the word behold. Job, open your eyes. Job, listen to me. Job, understand. Job, these are all natural things. These are all things that, that we take for granted. These are all things that, that are just there. And we can't understand them. Scientists try to understand the things about the creation. And they have found so many wonderful things. But if we can't understand the origin 
of the natural things and how the natural things work, how are we going to understand God's spiritual nature, which is so much higher than what we can understand? He said, can you lift up your voice to the clouds and bring an abundance of water? Can you do that, Job? I guess we might call this uh, putting Job in his place. Chapter 40. Chapter 40. Moreover, the Lord answered Job and said, Shall he that contendeth with the Almighty instruct him? He that reproveth God, let him answer it. And I, I have to imagine here that, that God paused at that point. God paused. After all he had outlined for Job, all the explanation, all the pointing out, all these things that, Job, what part did you have in all this? Who are you to question me? And so God pauses. And gives Job an opportunity. Because again, we need to understand that God knows our every thought. God knows the inner workings of our heart. God knew that Job was at a point here that he wanted Job to understand where he was. God knew where Job was. God wanted Job to understand where he was. And so Job makes a statement. He says, Behold, I am vile. What shall I answer thee? I will lay my hand upon my mouth. Once I have spoken, but I will not answer. Yea, twice, but I will proceed no further. Now, if, if we were a counselor and we had the counselee come to that point, we might praise the Lord. He's come through. He's broken through. We've made it. God is not finished. Can, can we think here what has happened is that the root is beginning to be exposed. That Job is recognizing. Job is beginning to recognize the root that God is trying to expose. Job confessed, I am vile. I am vile. I spoke when I shouldn't have spoken. I spoke questioning you, God. How many times in life when we face a difficult situation? And, and I did this this morning, I have to confess. I was out walking, uh, just trying to, to be alone with the Lord. And, and this word came from my mind. How many times do we just say, why, Lord, why? Why? Is that a wrong question to ask God? I'm not going to say that's a wrong question to ask God. Because human beings desire to understand. And it's not wrong to desire to understand. But when we ask God why with, with, the, uh, with the attitude of why are you doing this? This is not right. 
you shouldn't be doing this, then it's wrong. Then it's wrong. That's how God was asking. He was saying, I have been righteous. I have been pure. I have been serving God. Why is this happening, God? Why are you doing this to me? Job is recognizing that he has spoken wrongly. So the root is being exposed. God continues. Then answered the Lord unto Job out of the whirlwind and said, chapter 40, starting in verse 7, God is now challenging Job. Job, gird up your loins like a man. I will ask you, I will demand of you, and declare thou unto me. Will you disannul my judgment? Will you condemn me that you might be righteous? Do you have an arm like God? Do you have the power that I have? Can you thunder with a voice like me? Go ahead, Job. Deck yourself now with majesty and excellency. Array yourself with glory and beauty. These are all attributes of God. Power, majesty, glory, beauty. Go ahead, Job, if you can. Do that. Cast abroad the rage of thy wrath, and behold everyone that is proud, and abase them. Look on everyone that is proud, and bring him low. God is saying here that just one look, just one word, Just the understanding of my presence, of my glory, abases the proud. Can you do that, Job? Can you do that? Hide them in the dust together and bind their faces in the secret. Job, if you can do this, then, only then, will I confess that you can save yourself. God goes on. He uses the illustration of the behemoth. Then he uses an illustration of Leviathan. He's trying to point out to Job again that even in these natural things that have some spiritual application, illustrations that we can glean from these natural things. You know, I think about John in the Revelation in chapter 1 where he sees Jesus. He sees Jesus in all his glory, and he fell down before him as a dead man. And John tries to describe for us what Jesus looked like in heaven. And do you, do you remember the description of, of what John gave of Jesus Christ? It was all using natural things. It probably didn't come very close to what he was actually seeing, but... All he had was human language. And all we have is human understanding. So all he could use was fire and brass and and gold and pure white and those things to describe the indescribable. So God is using the natural things to try to, to show Job that he has been foolish. 
I think about how God was feeling during this time. I think about how God was feeling when his own son was suffering in the garden. He was allowing that. The captain of our salvation learned obedience through his suffering. How did God feel seeing his son there sweating great drops of blood? How did God feel when he saw his son there being scourged and buffeted and spit upon? How did God feel when he saw his son nailed to the tree and hanging there and dying? How did God feel? God's heart was pouring out in love, and yet he knew it must be. God was here dealing with Job in love. Love beyond any kind of love that we have the capacity to feel toward another. But the love was being poured out. Do you think Job felt loved? I can't answer that. I can't answer that. But I do know, and John, you said 15 years ago, You know, when you're going through those things, maybe you don't feel very loved. Maybe maybe we feel sometimes, where is God? Maybe we do pray, God, please take this away. Through the valley of the shadow of death. But dear people, I want to tell you, and you know this, God's promises are true. He will never leave us nor forsake us. His rod, that instrument of correction, comforts us. Hard for us to grasp that. Hard for us to understand that. His rod and his staff, they comfort me. But when we come to the other side of that dark valley and the sun shines again, And we find ourselves in a place of rest. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart. And you shall find rest. Rest. Unto your souls. When we come out and we look back. We have to humbly confess that God was right. God didn't make a mistake. Would I desire to go through that again? No. Am I thankful? Yes. Because God is faithful. What are the thoughts that God has toward us? Thoughts of what? I know everybody out there is thinking and and mouthing peace, yes. Thoughts of peace. Those are the thoughts God has toward us. When he allows these things in our lives, these painful things, these things that we don't know if we're going to survive, God's thoughts toward us are peace. To bring us to an expected 
end. What is the end that God is looking for? The end is humility. The end is holiness. The end is purity. Gold is refined in a fire. That, that pottery that the, the potter works is, is being molded and pressed, and, but it's going to come out of the fire as a beautiful, useful vessel. And that's God's purpose. Thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give us an expected end. Someone once said that the godly are afflicted that they may be brought to a self-knowledge and a self-judgment. Afflictions are not a penalty for sin in this case but are remedial and purifying. John said, Every branch in me that beareth fruit, he prunes it, he purgeth it, that it might, what? Bring forth more fruit. Oh, let's see. <clears throat> you can stay right there. I want to turn and read two verses in 1 Corinthians 11. Think about Job. Think about his self-defense. Think about what God desires in contrast to that response. Verse 31 in 1 Corinthians 11 says, For if we would judge ourselves, if we would discern ourselves, if we would examine ourselves and discern what is really there, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. If there is something in there, if there is a root, this root of pride that was inside of Job could have led to his ruin. God had to work to bring about a self-realization within Job's life that this is here. God was trying to bring Job to the self-realization that I'm proud. There's a story told of a circuit-riding preacher many, uh, many, many years ago. <clears throat> this was a time when, when the, the minister was only in a town for a brief period and then he went around and he came back a time later. He came to this one town and there was a young girl, maybe a teenage girl there, that came to the preacher after his preaching and said, how can I know God better? How can I, how can I find what you're, you're preaching about? How can I find this, this peace? And the, the preacher said to her, this is what I want you to do. I want you to pray every day this simple prayer. God, show me myself. And I'll be back in several weeks and we'll talk again. So she did that faithfully. She prayed every day, God, show me myself. And what did the preacher find when he came back around several weeks later? He found a young girl that was so miserable, 
so agonizingly miserable because God had answered her prayer. And she found herself vile. She found herself sinful. She found herself uh, condemned. And she came to him weeping. Please, what can I do now? That, that didn't work. That didn't help me. I'm miserable. I'm more miserable now. And he said, now I want you to change your prayer. Now, every day I want you to pray, God, show me yourself. And he went away, came back several weeks later, and what did he find? He found a young lady that was glowing, the countenance of glory, peace and rest. That peace, that she had found the answer to her need, that God had revealed himself, had revealed the Savior, the saving grace, the forgiveness This is one more step for Job. This is that one thing that was deep down in there that God wanted him to recognize. God, more than than the the things that we do for God, and we know that faith uh, brings about works. Works are obedience to God as our love expression to him. Jesus said in John 14 and 15, seven times, if you love me, keep my commandments. That's as simple as it is. The way we love God is we obey him. We we please him. We do his will. What God wants more than anything else from us is humble submission. He doesn't care if we understand why the constellations act like they act. He doesn't care if we understand why the behemoth is, is the way he is or why the, the eagles and the hawks soar on the, on the thermals and the winds. He doesn't care if we understand those things. He doesn't care if we can, we can come to a brother in need and give him the answers. He doesn't want us to do that. He wants us to direct them to God. He wants us to help bring them to God, to use God's truth and God's wisdom. That's what God wants. He wants our dependence to be utterly upon him. He's looking for humble submission. Pass the test. Pass the test. Here's the most beautiful part. Job chapter 42. Let's look at the first several verses there. It's it's kind of interesting. We might even say a little bit amusing. But it's not amusing if we think about ourselves. When we're thinking about Job, we're thinking about other people, we may find it a little bit amusing. But we think about me. What was Job's attitude toward his friends? Job's friends, you know, they didn't always tell him things that weren't true. In fact, Elihu, when Elihu came, the fourth friend, he was basically telling him the truth. And what was Job's attitude toward his friends? But when God came and told Job the truth, was Job's attitude different? Why? Why is that? Why is that? Why do we tend to have a different response to maybe a particular person if they tell us something? 
But if another person tells us, we may have a different response, or especially if, if we sense God speaking to us. It, it's our human nature. It's a root of pride. So God now has brought Job to the place where the root has been exposed, not only exposed, but rejected. And Job answered the Lord. Job has now seen himself, and he has seen God. Job says, and again, maybe it's just me, but sometimes when I read narratives in the Bible, I I try to to think, what was the tone? What was the, the feeling behind it? Job says, I know that you can do everything. Emphasis on you. You are the only one that no thought can be withholden from you. I understand that you have seen my innermost place that I didn't even see. And then Job repeats the question God had given him earlier. Who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? I think that was a confession. I think Job was saying, it was me, God. It was me. I didn't have knowledge. Therefore, have I spoken, uttered, that I understood not. I spoke things that I didn't understand. Things too wonderful for me. Wonderful, full of wonder. What is it when we wonder? We we wonder, how can that be? How does that work? What is that? What is it all about? We wonder. That's what wonderful means. Which I knew not God. Job began confessing. And then Job says to God, Hear me, O God, I beseech thee, hear me, and I will speak. I will demand of thee. And this word demand and this usage means to beg. He's not demanding of God any longer. He's begging God. God, I beg you, tell me. If there's anything else you need to tell me, tell me, I beg you. God, I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear. I have heard it. I have known you. Do we know who God is? Do we know about God? Do we know things about God? But Job says, but now. That was then. But now. My eye sees you. And I think he's talking about more than his eye here. I think he's talking about the eye of his heart, the eye of his soul. Now I see. Now I see. And because he saw God, because he saw himself, this is what God was looking for. This is what God was looking for. Isaiah gives us the account, Thus saith the High and Holy One that inhabiteth eternity. I dwell with those who are of what? A broken and a contrite spirit. Job says, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. 
I think we're seeing here that the pouring out of Job's soul, the pouring out of the innermost part of his being in gratefulness, in love. And I think that's where these things bring us. You know, when we have experiences like this, when we go through, when we respond rightly to these difficulties, to these trials, to these painful things, and we come through those by his grace, because we couldn't go through those things by ourselves without holding tightly onto him. But when we get through there, our love is just magnified for him. Jesus talked about the woman who was forgiven much. And so she loves much. If we don't have a whole lot in our lives that we feel like we need to be forgiven for, uh, we might come to the Lord, but how much are we going to love him? How deep is that love for Christ going to be? It's going to be deeper and deeper and deeper. The more we recognize our need of him, the more we recognize our vileness and his holiness. I abhor myself. God will abase the proud, but the humble he will exalt. Job has been brought to a place of true humility. And then God goes on to to defend Job to his friends, to chastise the friends, and then to pour out on Job blessings without measure, multiplied blessings, Seven sons, three daughters again, fairer than any daughters in the land. The, the animals, the riches multiplied over what he used to have. Blessings, temporal blessings, but blessings nonetheless. <clears throat> I'd like to just quickly review a couple of passages with you. I don't want you to turn to them. I just want you to listen as we try to to bring an understanding to a personal level here of what has gone on with Job and what God desires to do for us. All of God's devices, plans, workings in the lives of men have the same goal. To sanctify to himself a people a peculiar people that will love him. Jesus boiled it down to simple terms also. What is the greatest commandment? To love God with your whole heart, soul, and mind. And what that will do is it will produce obedience to the second, which is to love your neighbor as yourself. Love, honor, obedience. Exalt the Lord Jesus and glorify his name. And what that will do, while we have breath in this dark world, we will be channels of his light in the dark world to draw people to Christ. just like to turn to this verse here. We think about chastisement. <clears throat> I'm not going to turn to, to uh, Hebrews chapter 12, but, we, but we, we think about that. You know, God, uh, whom he loveth, he chastiseth. And that chastising, again, is not always punishment. 
that word does not always mean punishment. Chastising means to, to bring us through things, to work a work in our lives. That's who he loves. So if you've never been chastised, if you've never had difficulties, somebody once said that the greatest affliction in life is to never have been afflicted. And listen to gray hair. That's true. I believe that with my whole heart. Maybe when we're young, we, we can't quite see that. Chastisement. Speaking about Jesus, he is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him, and he was despised. We esteemed him not. Think of his emotions. Think of his feelings. Consider him the author and finisher of our faith who endured the contradiction of sinners against himself. Surely he hath borne our griefs, carried our sorrow, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Now this phrase here, the chastisement of, or maybe it should be the word for, the chastisement for our peace was upon him. You know, Paul talks in Ephesians about uh, breaking down the middle wall of partition and bringing together into peace, two into one. And Jesus prayed that they all may be one in peace. This is where we find peace, in Christ. As we go through these things, as we go through these things, we need to keep our eyes on Jesus. We need to keep our hearts submitted to his will, no matter what that brings us through. And yes, we will still cry. Yes, we will still grieve. Yes, we will still feel pain. Yes, we will still say why. Yes, we will still long for it to be over. God gave us emotion. But he wants our faith to increase one step at a time. One of our ministers several months ago in a message said that the strongest place or the safest place in a storm is in something stronger than the storm. That's why they build tornado shelters. The safest place in a storm is in something stronger than the storm. So God talked about the earthquakes and he talked about the whirlwinds and he talked about the things of life, those natural things. We talk about the storm of cancer, the storm of a child dying, the storm of a spouse dying, the storm of fill in the blank. That's real life. What's the safest place, the place of security, the place of of a haven, the place of rest, even in the midst of turmoil? It's in the only, can I say, thing stronger than all those things. And that is our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray.
Praise your name, Father. Thou alone art worthy to receive all glory, honor, and power, for thou hast created all things. All things are and were created for your pleasure. Father, we are your creation. And though we can't understand it, Father, we believe you that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And that you will never leave us nor forsake us. That you have thoughts of peace, not of evil, to bring us to an expected end. Faith, love, patience, experience, hope. We have this hope as an anchor of our souls, both sure and steadfast. Thank you, Father. You are so good to us. Increase our faith. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.